0: Today I find myself in something of a reflective and philosophical mood. What I have written may therefore not be to your taste, but perhaps it will. Nonsense and navel-gazing, yeah, maybe. But come on along for the ride, if you can spare the time, and bring with you an open mind if you would be so generous. The career of a universe can be captured in simile to a bottle of water. Consider the surface of the water in the bottle at rest, perfectly flat and undisturbed, a single plane. Seen from the horizon, it has no dimension. If this is the way it is, then time has no meaning either, since nothing is changing. The Big Bang is like the upsetting of the bottle, a vigorous agitation. The bottle is shaken and then set back down. Whereas, seen from the horizon, that is, looking through the glass directly along the edge of the surface, there had been no spatial dimension. Now, after the great agitation, there is borne an upward and downward and a side to side. There is space, since there are waves cresting up over the plane and troughs widening beneath it. Moreover, the whole surface has not raised or lowered across its breadth, because no more water or less water is in the bottle than there had been. So, some places along the width of the surface are rising, as other places are lowering. It isn't uniform from left to right, and most critically, there is now time. This is evident because there is change. The water is in motion, so a particular wave can be said to have a duration, as well as a size and a position relative to its neighbors. Events can take a longer or shorter time. The concept time now has meaning whereas it was irrelevant, meaningless even, for how long the bottle sat unperturbed. This model of the universe is wrong, though, isn't it? Though it illustrates some potentially important points, it doesn't quite accord with the measurements our scientists have made. The water bottle metaphor shows how what we call nothing can be made into what we call something, and how that something can take up space, which it hadn't previously done, and do so over what we call time. This is achieved because the nothing isn't really nothing in the way we conceptualize it. Rather, nothing is simply the state of uniformity with no distinction. There is no signal to be distinguished there as a something within the nothing. Somethingness and nothingness have no fundamental distinction. This might be how it is for our universe. But it has the problem that the energy responsible for converting the would-be nothingness into somethingness has been introduced from outside the bottle some force, or God, has picked up and shaken the bottle. Hence, the energy for everything that takes place subsequently has been imported. Once it all comes to rest and settles back into flat nothingness with no waves and no droplets to be found, the energy presumably has dispersed back out of the bottle. This is not a closed system. Of course, we don't really know that our own universe is thusly closed, In any case, the universe modeled by the water bottle is one in which space and time and matter come into being, form into various relationships, which unfold in time, continually weakening until the whole thing collapses back into its original state. While this is an appealing explanatory model of the stuff of our universe, the numbers don't add up to it. We are told that instead of a collapse back into itself, ours is a universe expanding toward a heat death the measurements predict that the origin state of the universe is not like the state of its termination. It's more like an embryo, which starts out small and full of potential, grows up larger and more refined, but then dies old and worn out. For our purposes, though, I don't think the water bottle is so bad an analogy. Imagine that our universe, in a bottle, has been shaken up, as I described, and is unfolding in extreme slow motion. It starts out all splashes and storms and then takes on some regular configurations in the fluid dynamics, waves and wavelets and drops and droplets and mists of teeny tiny droplets and beneath the horizon crests and valleys and so on. Let's say in the realm of familiar matter, like we know here on Earth, we are an expression of what is happening up above the horizon of nothingness. Down below in that unfamiliar and far away there is antimatter. Does it too compose worlds? It seems like it must. We know that matter and antimatter, if ever they meet, will eliminate one another. So it is in our water bottle when the troughs and the waves encounter one another and add up to nothing. But now we are captured in a moment in time, somewhere in the middle age of the universe's career. In the water bottle universe, droplets and waves make a physical difference to one another and therefore are real. Notice that the realness of things in the physical sense is a temporary business. So it is for all the matter in our own universe. If everything started out as energy, and in a matter of speaking, condensed into its material form, then matter is as temporary a thing as the waves and droplets of our water world. If E equals MC squared, then M equals E over C squared. Mass is just energy reconfigured, slowed way down. I have this weird idea that ground reality is moving at the speed of light and we, the material somethings of this universe, have simply fallen behind. It's not that the speed of light is so fast, then. It's just that we are so sluggish. If speed zero is set at the speed of light, then we are going slower than zero. Does that mean that the arrow of our time is proceeding backwards? Do yourself a favor and never mind that little aside. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in a very true sense, the existence of things is defined in relation to other things which are all just perturbations in the baseline universal field. Since things make a difference to one another, we can measure and interact with them, and we call them real. They can be observed by their impacts with the organic instruments of the body and by the artificial instruments we devise. To observe, what a strange happenstance. Things impact other things and make a difference to them in terms of force and momentum and attraction and repulsion You and I should be just as surprised to find ourselves incarnate upon the surface of the earth as we would popping into being on a droplet in a water bottle. Our actual circumstance is just that absurd. My existence in conscious being of this individuated point of view presents a great mystery. The forever slumber of my non-existence has been disturbed. I am. However, temporarily, I am as real as the matter all around me. The matter is a perturbation in the universal field, and so am I. What am I doing here? For what? Didn't the universe get along with its causes and its effects quite suitably when I was not here as an interested party? We fret over the eventuality of our own deaths. It's no mystery that I should die and return to nothingness, but how weird that I should have awakened in the first place, and that I go on being awake. Nothing agitated into something, That, I hope we have agreed, is what matter is. Now the matter has been assembled in a primate organ in order to agitate unconsciousness into consciousness, a universe deep inside a bigger universe. Perhaps the water bottle is a better model to describe this latter universe, the universe of an individual mind. Yeah, I can already see that it is. It works better on this scale. The human brain is not a closed system. It takes in lots of energy from outside. If the flow of imported energy is stopped, it dies in short order. So we don't have the problem of needing a mysterious external force or god to agitate the bottle. We measure brain waves using electrodes. These are the local electromagnetic events which must account for our being. Since I've already established the water bottle analogy, let's apply it here to the brain and the mind. Every morning when we awaken from a dreamless sleep, the brain stem stimulates the cerebrum into that state of wakefulness. Thus, energy is utilized to redisturb the water bottle and produce the contents of mind. And this is not an event like the Big Bang after all. Rather, under the influence of this stimulation, driven by neurochemicals like acetylcholine and norepinephrine, the water bottle is continually pulsed with agitation. It is set into a kind of vibration, so that the surface of the water is never allowed to settle. So long as this is the case, there is a persistent state of consciousness. Let's see what helpful understanding this analogy can bring to light. The mind as a whole thing is the surface of the water. The contents of mind, the sights and sounds and thoughts and sensations are waves and ripples upon that surface. They are thus part of the mind and distinguished by their individual scales and dynamics. So long as there are ripples or waves occurring, then there are contents. If the whole thing comes to a halt and the surface is rendered flat again, then there are no contents of mind, and with nothing in mind, there is no consciousness. If waking up were like a big bang, then our daily consciousness would start out loud and vivid with content, and wear away again toward sleep. This isn't how it is, though. Rather, a persistent agitation keeps the state going. Conveniently, the waves we see on an EEG give us a look at brain activity during wakeful consciousness and empty non-consciousness. Of course, our instruments are imperfect and we are looking at a measurement of the real thing rather than at the real thing itself. But the analogy still obtains and accomplishes something. In waking consciousness, the cortex indeed shows a multitude of waves and wavelets and ripples and spikes. There are waves in the electromagnetic field at various frequencies. And individual local network activities are discernible as little waves riding upon the big. What about non-conscious states? Is the surface of the water in our bottle allowed to settle into flatness? Does that account for the lack of content when we dreamlessly sleep? No. Instead, the large waves synchronously flow. I think it's like this. It's as if the whole surface of the water rises and lowers together but we said that the contents of consciousness are distinctions in the surface. Thus, if the whole surface together changes altitude, like the tide of the sea, this will not produce consciousness. Instead, it just sets a new baseline for nothingness. The neural correlates of conscious content are normalized to this baseline. The universe as a whole is not like the mind as a whole. This is best understood by entropy. Just at the moment of the Big Bang, entropy was minimal. Ever since then it has steadily risen, and by extrapolation it will eventually maximize. The universe will be maximally large and maximally uniform. Not so for the mind. As long as the brain keeps doing its work, the brain is an open system continually benefiting from the intake of useful energy and the exhaust of heat. A mind is essentially an open universe within a closed one. The central insight of the temporally integrated causality landscape is that the whole mind provides the point of view upon its parts. This means that everything we experience is contained within ourselves, without exception. You are a surface, like that of the water in a bottle. Let the bottle of water be your thalamocortical brain, if you like. You are not identical to your brain. You don't exist without it, that's obvious. But it exists without you plenty of the time as evidenced by states of non-consciousness, which it often enough exhibits. You, that particular mind, situated wherever and whenever you are, are a surface, a unified plane. You cannot find your true self because all that can be content for you is a localized disturbance in the plane, a particular disturbance in you. Taken together all of the different disturbances you experience, With the benefit of memory and time, you come to have a detailed map of the world you know, the shape of a human body in space, the way the environment encloses it, how all the different things around it can interact to make it feel, to see, to hear, to make sense of all its regularities. As far as you are concerned, there is not and never could be anything at all except what is contained within you. The human body is just a part of this. And it isn't you, but just a compelling model in your mind. The stars in the sky that you behold are as much you as the hand you hold up before your eyes. Do I imply that there are no stars for real scattered about the universe? No, I don't mean to suggest that. The mind, I said, is an open universe contained within a closed one. So in keeping with the bottle of water analogy, we are each inside a bottle of water which is floating in a massive ocean. The waves and weathers of this ocean bump into us and make a difference to our own fragile surface. From these outside events, there are events in us. That is the function of the sense organs. The retina and the cochlea and the mucous membranes, these are antennae, which transduce outside disturbances into internal ones. The outside disturbances are transduced in that they come in one form and are reconfigured into a new one inside the bottle. The way something looks to us, as an agitation in our mental surface, is not a likeness to the disturbance outside. I mean, how could a lot of action potentials carried along the cable of a nerve look like something? It seems that the looking like something is a product of the brain, an event which takes place inside the bottle. Would you not feel stifled and small were you to be looking out through the thin glass wall of a bottle at the grandeur of a wider universe? Yet that's how it feels, doesn't it? Well, I tell you, the case is even more constrained than that. There is nothing you can ever see of the world outside that bottle. There is no means for looking out. Rather, you are now and have always been looking inward.